Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Good morning, Crossview Church. Good to see you today. I have uh, really been enjoying this series of messages that Pastor Kyle is bringing to us out of the life of David called King David. And uh, it's my privilege today to be able to continue that series. And so I invite you today, if you brought a Bible or a device in which you can pull your Bible up, um, please do that this morning and turn to uh, the scripture that's, um, I believe it's on the screen behind me, 1 Samuel 6, verses 1 through 13. Uh, it was a, kind of a lengthy passage, so we didn't print it all out for you to see on this, the screen, so it would be good if you could follow along in a Bible that you might find one in the, the chair in front of you or one that you brought yourself. 1 Samuel 6, 1 through 13. When I want to ask a question, um, how many Davids do we have here today? Would you raise your hand if your name is David? Just look around. There's, there's several of them here in the room here, one even out in the foyer there, and uh, we have a number of Davids. Um, and I bet if you didn't raise your hand, you probably have a David in your life, a family member or a friend, uh, somebody that you know whose name is David. I thought about it this week. I have three cousins named David. And um, did you know that until David's name shows up in the Old Testament, there's no record of that name, either in the Bible or in ancient history, literature? The name David seems to have been started by Jesse, and we don't know Jesse's wife's name, but those are David's parents. It's interesting to me that the name David means beloved. And it's true for all of you that raise your hand, by the way. But did you know that David was the eighth son? What kind of parents have had seven sons and named the eighth one beloved? That's pretty remarkable, in my opinion. Um, now, in the New Testament, of course, David is an Old Testament person. But in the New Testament, David is mentioned more than any other Old Testament figure. Fifty-six times. Somebody else did the research on that. I didn't, I didn't count them all myself, but... I trust that their account was correct. Fifty-six times in the New Testament, David is mentioned. If you're looking for a person in the Bible with the most complete biography, David would be the one. For example, Abraham, who's obviously a very prominent person in the Bible, there are 14 chapters in the scriptures that describe Abraham's life. 14 chapters. There are 62 chapters about David in the Bible. So, He's a very prominent figure uh, in the scriptures. And Jesus was called the son of David. Jerusalem is called the city of David. The Bible tells us that David was deeply loved by the people of Israel. And I believe there's some reasons for that. And uh, I'd like us to consider what some of those reasons are. Make sure I got this right. First of all, David was a musician. And um, <clears throat> actually, I need to go back here. Let me go back one. Yeah, there we go. Um, he was a, a shepherd. And this is important because he represented the working class. Um, David was not from a wealthy family. And we know that because David was tending the sheep. If you had servants of any kind, the first thing that they would be doing would be tending the sheep. So the fact that one of Jesse's sons was taking care of the sheep, that shows that David was just from a common family. He was uh, from the working class. Next, we see that David was... A musician. He could have written the song, I Write the Songs That Make the Whole World Sing. I know Barry Manilow wrote that a long time after David was around, but David was really the guy that should have uh, been credited with that song. 
because we still sing some of David's songs that he wrote thousands of years ago today. Next, we need to know that David was a poet, and this revealed his heart. Uh, David was not one to cover up how he felt. When he didn't understand God, he wrote about it. When he's running for his life, he writes about it. When he's grieving over his sin, he bears his soul in the Psalms. He was the poet laureate of his time. David, as a warrior, he represented the military. He wasn't off in some war room plotting strategy. David was on the battlefield. He started off by taking on Goliath. We're familiar with that story. And I know that uh, Pastor Kyle has shared with us that story. He showed himself to be a valiant soldier in that setting and on through his life. Then as a king, David demonstrated effective leadership. David really cared for the people. He wasn't about the position and, and being looked up to like some people in positions of authority are. He was an effective leader because he really cared for the people. But ultimately, beyond all these things that we've just considered, David had the anointing of God. God placed his hand on David's life in a very special way. And maybe you've heard that term before. Maybe you've used it before. We talk about someone having the anointing. I think it's important to understand what the anointing is. This is a good definition. The Holy Spirit authorizing and equipping a person for a particular ministry. And here's what I, I, I want us all to, to take home with us today. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit living in you, and you have an anointing upon your life. The anointing on your life may look very different than the one that was on David's life, but followers of Jesus have a unique anointing, the Holy Spirit authorizing and equipping you to do something special and purposeful for God's kingdom. So why should we study the life of David? I know we've been doing it for several weeks, and I think it's good for us to stop and say, hmm, why are we even doing this? Well, this scripture from Acts chapter 13 um, is... Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, reflecting back on the importance of David's life. And he said, after removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So there's a truth about David. And then uh, in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings chapter 15, it says, for David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. And that last sentence there is a reminder to us that David had a very dark side and a dark period in his life where he sinned. He committed adultery with another man's wife, and then he took the life of that man. Uriah is the man's name, and that's who's referred to in this scripture. So some of us might say, why are we even studying this man? This man who's a, who's a sinner, uh, blatantly. Well, I, I would answer that question by saying David was a frail human being, and he really messed up. But when he was confronted with his sin, he repented, he confessed. He asked God to forgive him, and God did forgive him. We cannot do away with the consequences of David's failure. 
Yes, God forgave him, but David had a price to pay, really, for the rest of his life and in ongoing generations for his horrible sin. He paid dearly. But when God looked at David, he saw the failures that David had as an exception. When God looked at David, he said, here's a man after my own heart. That's so encouraging to me. God's description of David shows us that we must not form a person's identity from their failures, but from their heart for God. It's so easy for me, when I know something about a person that's negative, to form their identity that way. But the story of David and God's description of him as a man after his own heart is such a reminder to me that we need to look at people beyond their shortcomings and their failures and see their heart for God. Perhaps you've written somebody off because they've messed up so bad and maybe hurt you in the process. It's understandable. We do that sometimes. We write people off. Perhaps the person that you've written off is yourself. And one of the things that I wanted to share with you today is that when that lie gets whispered in your ear that you've messed up too many times, you've blown it in such a big way that you can't be used by God, I want you to know that that's a lie that the enemy is speaking to you. God is a God of forgiveness. Sometimes we feel like we've made an, an irreparable uh, sin and, and we just can never come back from it. I'm reminded of a story I read one time in the newspaper, something that happened in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. The, the police department got a couple calls, said there is a car going throughout our neighborhood, back and forth, up and down the streets, in reverse. Somebody's driving backwards all the way through our neighborhood. And so they sent a, a squad car out, and sure enough, they found this car that was going in reverse in the neighborhood, and they pulled the car over, and there was a teenage girl inside. They said, what are you doing? And she said, well, my parents went away for the weekend, and they told me I could use the car just a little bit, you know, to like do a couple errands. But she goes, I've been using the car all weekend, taking my friends on drives all over the place, and I know that they checked the mileage before they left. And she thought I could maybe unwind the, the, the mileage if I went backwards around the neighborhood. Funny story, but a reminder of what we try to do with our lives sometimes. I'm trying to make up for all the messes that I've created and unwind it somehow. You can't do that, by the way. Um, the God that David served, that you and I serve, is a God of a second chance, and so many more. You've probably heard the story before about when Thomas Edison and his team created light bulbs for the first time. It took them 24 hours to make one light bulb. This whole team of people, they worked straight, like around the clock. And after 24 hours, they finally had a light bulb that worked. And I don't know if you've heard this part of the story, but after that light bulb was created, Thomas Edison handed it to a young boy that worked with him there. And this boy was to take it upstairs. I'm not sure what was upstairs, but so this little boy was carrying very carefully, and he went up the stairs, and he got to the top of the stairs, and he dropped it, and it broke. And so Thomas Edison and these, these men went back to work, and it took them another 24 hours to make this light bulb. 
And the amazing thing is, when Thomas and Edison got that new light bulb, he handed it to the same young boy, said, now take it upstairs. This time, the trip was successful. That's forgiveness. That's what true forgiveness is. I'd like us to look now at the first glimpse of David that we have in the scriptures, 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 13. Samuel was a prophet at that time, the prophet of Israel, and God called him to a very special um, mission on that day. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to, are to anoint for me the one I indicate. So Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. <clears throat> when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before, before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. This story reveals to us God's plan for establishing leaders. Let's consider what that plan is. First of all, it's God's choice. It's his choice, not man's. How many times have we tried to appoint people to leadership positions and, and totally left God out of the picture, never even asking for his wisdom, for God to direct us and guide us? Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. We, we read together how God told Samuel, you know, you, you look for all these outward things. Saul, who was the current king, the first king of, of Israel, was said to be head and shoulders above everyone else. He was a big guy. And somehow people attached that with, well, he's going to be a good leader because of his appearance. And, and God told Samuel, it's not about the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. So it's God's choice, not man's. Another criterion that God uses to establish leaders is, well, it's just a reminder to us that his criterion differs from ours. Here goes Samuel, off to anoint the new king of Israel. 
And in his mind, he already had an image of probably what this guy was going to look like. He had this template that he thought, okay, it's got to be this way. And Jesse brings out his sons, the first one, Eliab. Samuel's thinking, oh, yeah, this is the guy. Look at him. God says, no, that's not him. Huh. Samuel thinks, well, let's look at the next guy, Abinadab. Just a great name, right? Abinadab. He comes out. Jesse's thinking, okay, yeah, this is, I mean, Samuel's thinking that's the one. No, it wasn't him either. Then the next one, Shammah. No, he wasn't the one. And down the list they went. Man looks at the outward. The Lord looks at the heart. Friends, never have we needed to hear that more than we need to hear that right now. It's not about the image. It's not about the the presentation, the way a person strikes us. God's looking at the heart. I know we live in a world where image is everything. But that's not God's way. When you look at a person's resume, you can see their performance, you can see their qualifications, you can see the degrees perhaps that they've earned, visual things, but it tells you nothing about that person's heart. And God has a whole different way of evaluating people. And if we would just follow God's way, we would make a lot better people decision. David described, was described as a man after God's own heart. What does that mean, someone who's person after God's own heart, a man or a woman after God's own heart. Well, it means that the things that God loves, this person will love. It means the things that God hates, this person will hate as well. Whatever God is interested in, we're interested in that as well, a heart for God. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. That's what God looks for, hearts that are fully committed to him. God was saying to Samuel, and I believe saying to us today, you've got to look deeper than you're looking. Man looks for a strong spirit. God looks for a servant spirit. The one God anoints for leadership is the one who has a servant's heart. God looks for someone who will care for his people. God chooses the shepherd. And if you understand leadership, you see that leadership is first and foremost about servanthood. It's about serving people, caring for them. That's the essence of what leadership is. And when people are in leadership positions and they lose sight of that, man, all sorts of problems arise. World history will confirm that over and over again. Church history will confirm that. The real essence of leadership is servanthood. And when a leader forgets that, the people under that leader are in trouble. In the secular world, you work your way up from the bottom to the top. We call that climbing the ladder. And Jesus came along and said, it's just the opposite. The Christian model, God turns the whole thing upside down. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 20. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. God said, this is what I want for my people, for the people of Israel. I want them to have a shepherd. I want them to have a servant leader, someone who would put the needs of the people first. And that's still what God wants for his people. And by the way, 
That's what God has given Crossview Church in your pastors. Remember that. Respect that. <clears throat> you know, servant leadership is not something that's going to show up on a resume. You don't see that in a first interview. It's difficult to really look into a person's heart. But man looks for high-profile, visible people, and the Lord looks for someone who quietly and faithfully serves. Many of the greatest leaders in history have come out of obscurity. They would not have seemed like likely candidates to serve in the way that they serve. Think about where God got David. He wasn't a mover and a shaker in the political world or in the business community. He was out in the hills where his only companions were sheep. And what was going on in David's life while he tended sheep? Was that wasted time? No, that's where God was teaching David lessons and developing his character for what was still to come. And I believe there's a pattern here. If you study the scriptures, you'll see that God often prepares people for great causes in private and solitary places. Moses spent the 40 years prior to him becoming a leader as a shepherd also. What is it about shepherding that God says this is going to prepare somebody to serve well? Joseph spent several years in prison, in obscurity, out of the, the eye of the public. The Apostle Paul probably spent about three years in Arabia and Damascus before he was called into his ministry position that we're familiar with as we read the New Testament scriptures. And here's the point. Some of you might feel like your life is very insignificant. Could it be that you're in a time where God is preparing you for something that he has for you? By the way, I mentioned Moses a minute ago. He was 80 years old when he took that prominent leadership position. David was a faithful shepherd when no one was there to observe. He could have never dreamed where he would end up. God often prepares his people in private, in obscurity. You see the scripture on the screen that's referenced there, Isaiah 55, 8, where it says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. There's another thing about God's plan for establishing leaders. <clears throat> there typically is a waiting time between the anointing and the fulfillment of that ministry. So after David's anointed king, he's ushered right to Jerusalem, right, to take over the throne? No, that's the way I might have written the story, but that's not the way it happened. Most Bible scholars believe that David was 16 years old when he was anointed to be king. And he became king when he was 30 years old. So what was happening in those 14 years from the time he turned 16 to the time that he actually became king at the age of 30? For 14 years, David was basically doing two things. First of all, he went back to being a shepherd. He went to his dad. Hey, dad, I've been anointed to be king. And his dad said, that's nice. Now go take care of the sheep. <laughs> the anointing of God often calls us back into the behind-the-scenes ordinary stuff of life. And it's there that we learn faithfulness. 
I'm guessing you need to hear that today. I, I know that I needed to hear it as I prepared this message this week. It means going back to being a mom or being a dad or being a child of a mom and dad, of being a, an employee, an employer, a student. The anointing really needs to be seen in our homes, in places where we can't fake it, where we are who we really are. David went back to the sheep. So that was one thing he was doing in those years that intervened between his anointing and becoming the king. The second thing David was doing during those years, he was running for his life. He was a fugitive. I wonder how many times during those 14 years David said, God, what is going on? Very clearly, you anointed me. You used Samuel the prophet to anoint me to be the next king of Israel. And here I am running for my life, hiding out in caves. You see, the scripture reference Isaiah 30, 18. It says, the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. And I know sometimes it's a long wait. You say, God, I feel like you've got something for me to do, and I have this calling on my life, and yet here I am just in the mundane stuff of life. I want to leave you with two points to ponder as we bring this message to a conclusion today. The first one is that God is doing his work even at a time when we are not aware of it. See the prophet Samuel on his way to Jesse's house. He's carrying a horn of oil that he would anoint the next king with. And what's David doing at that time? David has no clue. He was doing the same thing he did every day, up early, taking care of the sheep, being faithful. He had no idea what God had in store for him that day. And neither do you and neither do I. If you're tempted to say, God, have you forgotten me? By the way, it's okay. God can handle that when you say that. David wrote things like that in the Psalms, his honesty. Just remember that God is at work even at a time when we're not aware of it. He's doing things in your life. And the second thing that I would hope that you would take home with you today is that God is doing his work in a way that we are not acquainted with. We say, but I thought my life was going to be so different. We're not recognizing his work. You see, God looks at the heart. We look at the outward things and we think, man, I thought, you know, I'd be further along financially than where I am right now. I thought, just so many things about my life would be different. We look at those things. God looks differently. What God is about is so different from what we're acquainted with. But friends, God is at work. Let us pray together. Worship team, please come forward at this time. How we thank you, Lord, for the scriptures. And for the stories that we find here that remind us that your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts. And my prayer, Lord, is that as we have looked at David's life once again this morning, that it would inspire us to trust you with our own lives and the lives of those around us that we love.
to realize that, yes, God, you are indeed working, whether we can see any signs of that or not. You are doing your good work. And I pray that we would be inspired today to be faithful with what you've put before us. In David's life, it was just to keep taking care of those sheep. But for each of us, it might be something a little bit different. But I pray, God, that we would be found faithful and that in these days we would realize that you are preparing us, you're getting us ready for that which you have for us. Thank you, Lord, for the inspiration that we find from your word. And I pray that the lives of each of my friends here in this room today and those that are watching online would be enriched as we, we look at David's life and realize that the principles applied there apply to our lives too. And we pray all these things in the name of your Son and our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.